the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red blood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from See You at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the See You at the Game website, and your host for the See You at the Game podcast. Welcome to the first episode of Year 3 for the podcast. I will be joined in a moment by Neil Langland and Brad Geiger. Our first topic of conversation will be to welcome CU's three latest additions to the coaching staff. Defensive line coach Vic Soto. Quarterbacks coach Rod Chance, and tight ends coach and passing game coordinator Clay Patterson. The Carl Durrell staff for 2022 is almost entirely in place, and we'll discuss how the new staff is an overall upgrade from what CU had in 2021. We spend most of our time, however, on the current state of the CU roster. To date, there have been 17 players who have left the school, including several starters. While Neil and I tend to be more on the pessimistic side of the current state of CU football, Brad offers, if not optimism, at least some perspective on how the 2022 team is taking shape. There hasn't been a great deal of positive news for CU in terms of the transfer portal and the explosion of name, image, and likeness. Will the new coaching staff and the anticipated arrival of new players make up the difference? Let's find out. Okay, and we are back with the start of Season 3, Episode 1. And I'd like to welcome and wish a Happy New Year to Neil Langland in downtown Denver, Colorado. How is Neil doing? I'm fine, Stuart, and Happy New Year to you as well. Downtown's quiet today, kind of like I'm feeling about CU Athletics right now. Well, unfortunately, that is the the nature of the beast. You're going to have to talk me off the ledge here, or I'm going to have to talk you off the ledge, or we're going to have to get some other see with the gamers to talk us both off the ledge because it's not been uh, not been great for the University of Colorado, at least on paper here in the last few weeks. There were some positive developments, and we'll talk about those to start. Maybe get us off on a good footing, and we'll feel better about ourselves. Since the last time we talked, the University of Colorado has hired three new assistant coaches. The first one came in as I was editing the last podcast. So, of course, something important will come tomorrow as I'm editing this podcast and get it ready for broadcast and get it ready to put out into the world. Some other news will hit the University of Colorado. But on December 30th, Colorado found its defensive line coach, and it is Vic So Otu, 
And he comes to Colorado from USC, you know, five years worth of experience in the FBS, last five years, three years at Virginia, where he followed Bronco Mendenhall out of BYU, where he went to college, where Soto went to college. And Dorrell said of him, Vic is an impressive young coach. He is a great communicator, teacher, and developer who relates very well to his players. His body of work speaks volumes, and I know our players will gravitate to his teaching style. I think looking back, the reception or the impression that the Buff Nation had was pretty favorable, wouldn't you say, of this particular hire? I would agree. Someone who has played at that level at BYU and coached at the places he has been and recruited the players that he has recruited, he looks like he might be a guy that has some charisma, which I think is something that's been lacking on the staff for a while. And hopefully he can turn around our our line in terms of technique, but probably, or at least hopefully, recruit some talent there. So, and maybe once once again, we'll be able to get some players from the Pacific Islands that of which CU has had great success in the past. Yeah, uh, he certainly seems to be lined up. He, uh, I like the part that he was the second cousin of Hall of Famer, NFL Hall of Famer, uh, Junior Seau. So certainly good bloodlines there. Um, he's taking over Chris Wilson, the defensive coordinator, also coached the defensive line last year. So he's not replacing a defensive line coach, but he is stepping in to coach a position where uh, I don't think there's any argument that uh, CU needs some coaching and CU needs some some help. That's one of the weakest units on the on the team, wouldn't you say? Um, definitely. And we've lost one of the best players on that team uh, or on that unit. So we're, n- we're going to have to have an infusion of talent as well as sort of a revival in spirit and perhaps um, upgrade in technique. The only negative thing I could assign to this coach so far is perhaps being part of Helton's staff at USC which is sort of a mixed blessing. I'm not sure how to interpret that yet, but he seems to be one of the better, if not the best hire so far. Yeah. He had to have some something about him to get hired at USC in the first place. Now, again, yeah, you can argue whether or not that was a successful run at USC and the defensive line while he was there, but you're not going to get hired by USC if there aren't a whole lot of people that think pretty highly of you. Uh, which leads us to the second coach that hired the next day on New Year's Eve, uh, the quarterback's coach coming from another Pac-12 school, uh, Rod Chance, who's the new cornerback's coach, basically swapping out for Demetrius Martin, who left CU to go to Oregon to be the cornerback's coach. Of Chance, who is 37, Durrell said, Rod comes to us as a coach that can develop our corners and impact our defense right away. He is known as a developer, a strong recruiter, and has the defensive knowledge to help our secondary improve and play at a high level. In terms of his background, again, yes, he came from the University of Oregon. He's also at Vanderbilt when uh, Darrell was there, so he already has a background there. He's coached at the Pac-12, SEC, and the Big Ten. So 
he was at Minnesota, you know, uh, so seems like a, an excellent hire again, a hire that at least from the sound of it, uh, or at least in the buff nations message boards seems to be a pretty popular hire. What would you think of uh, Rod chance coming to see you? Oregon's cornerbacks over the last few years have a reputation for excellence. There probably have been some NFL draft picks there. And that was usually one of the stronger units on their defense, if not their entire team. It's as if CU and Oregon had a trade where we gave up our best corner and one of our best coaches to get this guy. So hopefully he has commensurate value. And I think um, the defense, those two units, probably can improve with these two coaches. Yeah, there does seem to be, again, you don't know if it's an upgrade or at least the way CU has been going of late, don't have to have upgrades, just at least try and maintain something similar to what you had before. Uh, the third new coach that came in on January 9th is the new coach that's going to be coaching tight ends, also the passing game coordinator. And that's going to be Clay Patterson coming to us from Minnesota following his offensive coordinator, uh, Mike Sanford. Not as deep a resume. He's only he's three years coaching tight ends at Minnesota, but that's his only uh, power five experience. Of him, Durrell said, before accepting the position in Minnesota, Clay's background and experience was well-documented in highly productive offenses. His knowledge with the passing game concepts over his career will be a big benefit for us as we build a successful offense here at Colorado. Again, since tight ends are not a big part of the Colorado offense, or at least haven't been, not as great a reviews on this hire as the two defensive hires, but uh, still somewhat positive or just kind of a, you know, a blah hire for you? If this coach had anything to do with Minnesota's passing game, such as we saw this um, past fall at Folsom, uh, I'm optimistic. To the extent he recruited Minnesota's tight ends, um, they were big bodies that could catch and could block. So if that's what we can expect from this guy, that he can bring in those kinds of recruits, have them play at that level, a very good hire, an upgrade, I would say. Okay. And now we're joined by Brad Geiger and Highlands Ranch. How's Brad doing in the new year? Brad is good. Just been working hard and trying to figure out Who's going to still be at CU come next fall? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently just us, you know. I, apparently, I scared the heck out of my receptionist today when I yelled a nasty word after reading about Mr. Brossard. So, yeah. well, we will get to that shortly. Um, we've been talking about the three new hires, two on the defensive side. We've got Rod Chance coming in at cornerbacks, Vic Soto at defensive line, and then Clay Patterson as tight ends. So give us your fresh perspective on the three new hires at the University of Colorado. I like them, is the thing. They're all qualified to do what they're doing. They're all not top of the 
game guys, to be honest with you. We're not like our recruits. We're not getting the top assistants, but we're getting people who know what they're doing. We're getting people with experience. Um, I think we're clearly seeing Carl Durrell trying to assemble a professional college football staff. People who know how the game is run, how a program is run. It feels like a coach who thinks he's got some room to build. He's not trying to chase the hottest new guy, or maybe he is and he's not getting them. But it seems like he's just decided these are calm, straightforward, build the program kind of guys. And this, the latest hires are exactly that kind of person, people who have worked their position up through various levels of college and are now ready for the next step. Um, we've got a three with head coaching experience. This is a solid bunch of coaches. Okay. Well, Neil, let me just kind of give you the rundown of some of the things, some of the coaches we lost. Of course, Mitch Rodriguez went bye-bye mid-season, the offensive line coach, Darren Cheverini, the offensive coordinator, wide receivers coach, Danny Langsdorf was a quarterback's coach and passing in coordinator. On the defensive side, you got Mike Kalowski, Brian Mikulowski's gone. Picking up a new offensive coordinator, still keeping Chris Wilson as the defensive coordinator. You got Mike Sanford. Of course, we talk about Chance Patterson and then Kyle Devan as a new offensive line coach. So on paper, it seems like CU is trading up in the coaching world. Do you agree with Brad that there seems to be uh, a positive direction, at least in terms of the, the coaching staff? I think Durrell is showing some coachmanship here, if you will, and the people that he is hiring. Brad described them all very well as experienced, competent people. Hopefully they were first choices for Coach Durrell and that they fit with his scheme and they'll all be on the same page. And this is actually really the first test that we've had of Durrell in terms of building a staff and uh, putting together a cohesive staff insofar as when he was hired initially, it was late and he was, I hate to say it, stuck with some coaches probably that were not his first choice. And he's been gradually working to the point where he could get his guys in here. So now hopefully we'll be able to see what Durrell and company can actually do. If the coaching staff is almost in place and of course, I was editing when the first of these three coaches got hired. So inevitably, when I'm editing this tomorrow, we'll get a wide receivers coach. There's only one more coach to pick up for the Carl Durrell staff, but otherwise it seems to be pretty well in place. The roster for the University of Colorado, however, does not seem to be in place. And, of course, we're both reeling from the news today that the latest addition to the transfer portal is running back Jarek Broussard, CU's first conference offensive player of the year since Chris Brown in 2002. A lot of talented bodies. Now, a lot of the players that have left are landing at schools like UT San Antonio. That's where Chris Carpenter ended up. Ashad Clayton's at Tulane. Keith Miller ended up at a place I never heard of, Texas A&M Commerce. I'm not even sure that that's a, a thing, but... Trust in Oliver, Central Arkansas. Now, there are some name players, some starters 
that CU has lost. They are landing at Power Five schools. Christian Gonzalez, most notably, followed Demetrius Martin to Oregon. Mark Perry decided he wants to play against Colorado, wants to return to Folsom Field for the first game of the year, except he's going to be a horned frog playing for TCU. As we record, Brandon Rice has not found a home. Speculation, he might go to USC, might go to some school in Texas, but not as of yet, doesn't have a school. Blackman, uh, another defensive back we lost, and of course, Jarek Broussard. How can we reconcile what's going on with the University of Colorado roster and have any positivity? Well, I'll take a whack at that. Um, I think we have to put our face, well-placed or not, in Durrell in that he has a strategy is that he is going to first uh, purge his roster of players that he feels are not power five level and take his time taking players off the transfer portal and seeing what he signs on February 2nd. My concern is that they may, with that strategy, is that they may wait too long and miss out. And some of the areas that they really need to improve, like both lines, I would wish they were out or had already signed some players in those areas because they are of dire need and critical importance. Okay. Well, Brad, you know, I think we could all agree with the way the 85 man roster works and the relatively small senior class that there was bound to be attrition. There had to be attrition. If there was going to be even bringing in the class of 2022, the freshman class, there's going to have to be attrition just to make room for the, the incoming players. And you look at some of the players like Joe Davis, who was buried in the running back depth chart, Alec Pell, tight end slash defensive player, Chris Carpenter is wide receiver, not really going to get the on the playing field. You know, Keith Miller, another wide receiver that really wasn't going to see a whole lot of time playing. You don't want to say bad things about any player that committed to Colorado and put in the time and the effort to be a part of the team. But, you know, there is good attrition. I think everyone agrees with that. Everyone could see that. And certainly Carl Durrell putting his stamp on the program. But when you're losing starters, when you're losing all Pac-12 performers, when you're losing leadership, captains of the team, got to have some fear there that Carl Durrell is not winning over the hearts and minds in the locker room. You'd be ridiculous not to, okay? Guys like Levante Cheval, who we wish the best, but he needed a change. I mean, it, when it comes down to it, there's about four guys on this list who are actually a loss to the team, okay? Gonzalez, of course, honestly the highest. As much as we like Jared Broussard, we've seen his we've seen his his top line. He is a strong back who needs a lot of carries, and whose injury issues have prevented him from really taking the next step, and probably would continue to. That said, he's a tough player. He's the kind of guy you always want on your team. Blackman, I would have loved to have kept. Uh, Brendan Rice, I think, has 
a, a lot of upside, and I'd be shocked if he's not playing someplace that can play the game. So that it is possible to overreact to this. It really is. It is possible to look at 17 guys gone and go, oh, my God, what's happening? But, yeah, Broussard is a big loss, and it makes you wonder what they think is going to happen with the offense. You know, we had talked about we might lose some wide receivers because the new offensive coordinator is a running guy. Uh, well, when you lose Broussard, then you kind of begin to wonder who's doing what to whom. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. You can't be optimistic about it. We haven't lost key players in places that we can't afford the loss. We knew that wide receivers were deep. Um, God forbid we lose one of our 73 tight ends. <laughs> you know, even the running back room, although losing both Clayton and Broussard is a big deal, is a big deal. Although we added talent there with the last signing. I'm trying to take a deep breath. I'm trying not, you know, everybody's team is great on recruiting day. And now it turns out everybody's team is terrible in the transfer portal. But yeah, I'm worried. Again, part of it is the coaching turnover. The guy, all these guys that they knew left. And let's face it, Christian Gonzalez got recruited well before the change in defensive back coach. And anybody who thinks that's not what happened is not paying attention. All right. So this is going to happen some. If we can build a stable team, a stable coaching staff, then they will not poach our players as they leave. And until the NCAA decides that they're going to have some sort of rules or regulations or thought process or anything other than who gets to eat bagels and when, this is going to happen. But it stinks being on the other side of it. And I'm not going to tell anybody who's a fan to not feel that way. Yeah. Well, Neil, they say, you know, when you're recruiting is now just going out and getting freshmen and now getting players from other teams, you got to recruit your own team. And one of the coaches that didn't leave that's been there throughout is Darian Hagan. And he's lost two of his top running backs. Do you share Brad's, I won't say optimism, but at least tempered pessimism? Or are you like me and ready to uh, jump off the cliff? I'm tending more toward the latter, Stu, is I could see why Bruce, why the running backs would leave. Playing behind that offensive line without, at least to this point, any indication of improvement or supplementation uh, with some new players, um, that would cause me to look to go elsewhere, that and nothing else. I think it has nothing to do with the relationship between uh, Hagen and those players. I think Hagen is a great players coach. I simply think that it was too crowded. I remember Broussard now throughout the season saying, just give me the ball, give me the ball. I think he did not want to share carries with the other two backs. Clayton, I think, was uh, he had decided back after the third or fourth game that he was going to transfer. Because I and he went back to Tulane. I mean, he's a New Orleans kid, so that's understandable. But you know, in terms of whether players are running away from something in Boulder or just running to some sort of more lucrative possibility, too early to tell at this point. But uh, there's no way of comparing this yet to previous years because the portal is so new. 
And I have not done the footwork yet to see how many other teams in the middle of the college football food, uh, food chain are doing in terms of losing starters. But just as a Buff fan, this feels like a deep wound. And it's going to be difficult, at least the first few games of the season, to work out those kicks. So not jumping ahead, but I think it spells trouble for next year. Yeah, well, and perhaps for years to come. Brad, the, there was a press conference. Uh, CUF Lake Director Rick George was there. Head coach Carl Durrell was there. Rick George, who was on the committee, the NCAA committee, trying to get some NCAA regulation and or congressional legislation so that there would be national standards, complained about what was going on on the national picture and that there was not playing fair in terms of the intent of name, image, and likeness. And Carl Durrell seemed surprised by the impact of the transfer portal. Was the reaction from the hierarchy of the University of Colorado staff a little disconcerting for you as we go forward? Um, seemed to me that uh, if any school would have known about it, or at least you know, been at least aware of what was coming, the University of Colorado should have been at the forefront, not uh, tailing behind. Oh, I'm not. I have a faith in a lot of things, including the fact that Rick George is not an idiot. And that everything he says is not everything he thinks. Rick, I don't know that anybody understood fully how the combination of name, image, and likeness and the transfer portal was going to work. Okay. Particularly the transfer portal was easy to promote as a necessary public relations step to try to put aside the narrative, not in completely inaccurate, of college football being unfair to players. But I think the transfer portal was premised on, we're also going to do something rational about name, image, and likeness. And when you combine that with the wild and woolly West that is name, image, and likeness, which Rich George did his very best to try to stop, I think it was more, it wasn't surprise, it was frustration. It was watching your worst case scenario come true in every possible way. As Texas A&M brags about paying off their players um, and finding out that, okay, some part of the NCAA really believed that garbage they were selling about that the American people wanted amateur athletes. <laughs> They, that's the only explanation, isn't it? That when they stood up and said, hey, listen, college fans desperately want amateur athletes. And if we pay them, all the fans will go away. And it turns out what fans want is to be able to buy players. <laughs> <laughs> there is zero pushback on name, image, and likeness in the transfer portal, except for teams who don't have the money to play the game. Yeah. Okay. None of this is moral. None of this is gone. And I think Rick George and the people at the NCAA are like, oh, we were wrong. Something they don't say very well. And so I, I do think folks like Rick George and other higher ups at the NCAA and perhaps more people who had a higher moral sense 
truly are both surprised and disgusted by this. And that's what I heard from Rick George. Okay. Well, Neil, you've got the stories of, you know, the $50,000 for offensive linemen in Texas. You've got the 25 to $30 million slush fund at Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher basically saying, yeah, we always paid them. It's just now it's legal. You got the Tennessee wide receiver that says he won't go pro as long as somebody gives him $600,000 to stay. You've got, what was it, Charlie Batch that was offering Caleb Williams a million dollars to play at Eastern Michigan. Any of this just, is this just egregious or is this just the way it's going to be? And we're just going to sit in uh, our black and gold sweatshirts and watch it all go by as a big parade. Well, let me add to that um, recitation of uh, infamy uh, BYU that was featured on a real sports segment back in October wherein every player on the team was collecting a check from a sponsor. And the sponsor was in front of the team giving out the checks. What that told me was two things, is that money's going to obviously be a big part of this. And boosters now seem to be almost in charge of some programs. And it's going to be that control. CU doesn't have that problem uh, or that asset. But even though it's early on, I think we're going to see some wide variation. And it's probably going to settle down over the course of the next two or three years as it becomes evident that there aren't that many schools or aren't that many opportunities for players to get fabulously wealthy. And I think the the NIL payments will probably settle down and be spread along uh, fewer and fewer players. So it's going to affect maybe the top tier of recruits, the four and, and five-star ultra-talented guys. But in terms of pessimism, I'm really quite without words to describe CU's reaction so far, as well as the dearth of anyone to come forward from the CU fan base to propose any sort of NIL action on behalf of the Buffs. It may be up to you, Stuart. It may be CU at the game that leads that charge. Well, I have to admit, in one of my darker moments here in the last few days, I sent an email to the South Park guys. <laughs> wow. I actually went online, found South Park, and sent them an email saying, you know, South Park Stadium at Folsom Field, you know, I'm sure a lot of CU students, student athletes wouldn't mind promoting South Park as part of their social media in exchange for some payment. Now, sadly enough, I have not got a response to my email, but in my darkest moments, I said, okay, well, we got to try something here. So, Brad, I guess the other thing that really depressed me about this was not so much Texas A&M having millions of dollars, Alabama paying its players, you know, it, you know, it is what it is. It's going to be that way in the SEC and some of the bigger schools, USC and Oregon are going to buy players. Not a shock to anybody's nervous system to have that come out as being reality. But the Washington state story is kind of what stuck in my craw that a bunch of boosters in Pullman got together 
formed a business, got people to donate money to it, and went out and got a quarterback. They went out and got the Incarnate Word FCS gunslinger to be their quarterback. This is Pullman. I have been to Pullman. It is as backwater as you can get in the Pac-12 in terms of available resources, in terms of fan base. The stadium is, I think, capacity is like 35,000. And yet there are enough boosters, there's enough money in Eastern Washington, enough support in Eastern Washington that they can go out and say, okay, we can't play with the big boys. We can't get Caleb Williams, but we can get a top quarterback to come and play for our team by pooling our dollars together and making it worth his while. Why is that not happening? Where's the Buff Club? Where's the C Club? Where's Buffs for Life? Why is this not happening at the University of Colorado? What am I missing here? This is the same thing that's been going on for years. We have always wondered where the big donor is. Again, I think part of it is Rick George is a little behind the curve on this. I don't think that we have the organization. The Buff Club's never been as strong um, as it probably could have or should have been. I would say the difference between us and Eastern Washington is that there are things to do. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Buffs have always run second or third or fourth in the Denver metro area at their finest times, okay? I would not be surprised if something along those lines comes out. Washington State's system is not, I mean, that's their one shot. That's not sustainable. They know it's not sustainable. None of us think Alabama's budget for NIL has gone up. Okay. <laughs> None of us think that Oregon is spending more on player on buying players now than they did four years ago. All right. I think as this goes on, schools like CU, mid-level power five conference schools, will begin to turn their buff club into that kind of fundraising issue. And we'll find some success and some failures. Yeah, the, the, the stratification is going to continue. It's going to get worse. But I don't think any team's going to buy its way into the championship any more than the teams already have. Everybody on the Alabama and Georgia team was recruited before NIL. None of them lost any money. All of them played for the national championship. So, again, I try to take a deep breath and say, I'm not positive that anything has changed. I think we just see it more. But we have to see, and we have to shake it out. And there is no doubt, you are 100% correct. Somebody has to seize the horns of the Buff Club and move them into 2022. Because at least for now, we're not seeing it. Yeah. Could I jump in briefly? I think Brad raises a great point. And just down the street from me, not a half mile away, is Ball Arena. Now, Ball Brothers and Ball Corporation has quite a presence in Boulder County, I understand. And Rick George has raised more money for the athletic department than previous uh, athletic directors combined. Done a great job at that. What puzzles me is how he has not been out in front of this in organizing uh, and soliciting funds from large corporations and individuals and even the Buff Club itself. Uh, I get the impression that there is no plan to go forward there. Uh, is that what you guys think? 
Well, you know, look at his press conference transcript. You know, he was touting the buffs with the brand, which is into year two, but really hasn't generated much buzz, much less dollars. And and you guys know I'm a big Rick George fan. I've been a big Rick George fan since his first week on the job in 2013. But I agree that, you know, we talked about why should somebody that was on the NIL committee be behind the curve? Why should the University of Colorado be behind the curve on something like that? We should be the ones like a, a Washington State where people are saying, oh, okay, well, that's an idea that smaller schools, and I use smaller in quotes, smaller in terms of stature, smaller in terms of available dollars, should be utilizing. We shouldn't be complaining about how it's gone amok and that people are buying recruits, which was never supposed to be the idea behind name, image, and likeness, but it became that from minute one, do we have the opportunity to be fortunate or patient, not fortunate, but patient when the University of Colorado is already facing an uphill climb in terms of personnel? Brad, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air that, you know, this team won four games last year, and that was with Christian Gonzalez. That was with Jared Broussard. That was with Carson Wells. That was with a shot Clayton that was with Brendan Rice that was with you know all these there's not the got a bunch of freshmen coming in but if you played with the roster that CU has right right this minute would they have won four games last year considering I think they misused Jarek Broussard um, and the secondary didn't burn up anybody last year I don't know no Short version is, would they have won the Oregon State game? Probably not. Yeah, it's concerning. Yeah. You hope that we can coach them up. We hope that the new guys coming in can be better. Were we really going to predict more than four wins for next year? Yeah, we'll see come fall. <laughs> yeah. Well, a tougher schedule doesn't help. So perhaps, you know, there are 1,400, 1,500 names out there, and they all can't land at a top power five school. Some of these players are going to sift through. And if that's the strategy to wait it out till May, end of the spring semester, and see who's out there still looking for a seat when the music stops, maybe you can get another Robert Barnes, you know, type of player, Jack. Lamb? Jack Lamb. I was going to say Jack mm-hmm. Snow, which no. was a wide receiver for the LA Rams about 40 years ago. So, yeah, we probably don't want Jack Snow on our team. But, uh, yeah, Jack Lamb, you get, you know, a player or two like that that might actually have an impact on the 2022 season. Or is it too little too late? And by the time CU gets to up to speed on NIL and the transfer portal, we're going to be talking about trying to get excited about the next coach after Carl Durrell because he won't be able to make it. Is that the, the future for the next two or three years? Wow. Um, It's looking like that so far. As I said earlier, if one waits too long, the good stuff may be gone out of the transfer portal. If you jump too early, you may miss out on some late bloomer or someone that decides after spring ball that they want to transfer. 
I think they have to have a, a hybrid strategy insofar as they take a few players now and leave some spots open for May and June and see what happens. But I am just, I'm pessimistic now and I'm trying not to be, but the areas that they need to improve um, are the lines. Doesn't matter how good the skill players are or how good the defensive backs may be. If there aren't good linemen and good line play, the rest of it is for naught. And that's where they need to concentrate. And I wish they had been doing something already. Yeah. Well, at least arguably they got good line coaches now that there was an upgrade, both the offensive line and defensive line coaches. So Brad, I'm going to let you have, you've been the optimist. You're leading us into the light here. I'll let you have the, uh, the first last word for this podcast, the first of season three for see you at the game podcast. Uh, what words of wisdom would you like to leave us with for the next couple of weeks? I, you know, the old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. We have never seen more interesting times in college football. A stolid, conservative, at times boring institution has changed in ways in the last 10 months that we, those of us who have paid attention to football for four decades, could not have predicted and don't yet fully understand. Makes for interesting conversation. It may make for interesting football. Uh, we will see further. Okay. Neil, what would you like to, to pass along to the, the see you at the game fans that are clinging to hope as we enter into 2022? Well, <clears throat> the saying in politics is that a country gets the government that it deserves. Um, apply that to college football and the fan base gets a team that it deserves. The fan base as a whole needs to do something to motivate the leadership at CU and needs to do something on its own collectively to come up to speed on NIL and the transfer portal. Because obviously that impetus seems not to be forthcoming from the CU administration. So fans, if you want to improve this, now's the time to pick out the pick up the checkbook and start writing checks. Yeah. And if anybody has any good ideas, just send me an email at seewiththegame at gmail.com and I will uh, be happy to pass it along to whoever I can find that would be happy to, you know, try and get that going. There are a couple of grassroots campaigns that people are talking about, you know, that if 10,000 CU fans donated a hundred bucks, we'd have a million dollars to work with, but it hasn't happened yet. So we'll cross our fingers that something good happens in the next couple of weeks. Give us something to talk about. Maybe we'll talk about some CU basketball. We've got another signing day to talk about, and I don't know how active Colorado is going to be in that particular market, because even with all of the attrition, you're still looking at right to about 80 to 85 scholarship players on the roster right now. So there's yeah. not a whole lot of room to add more bodies. So they're, believe it or not, there's going to be more attrition before we hit August 1st and the 85 man roster for 2022. So thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for being a part of the podcast in 2022. And thank you for being part of 
podcast number one for season three. And we will talk again soon. Thanks for listening. We will be coming to you approximately every other week during the off-season. So that you don't miss any future episodes, please remember to subscribe. And, if you get a chance, give us a nice little five-star rating. We are entering Season 3 of the podcast, but we are still looking to expand our audience. And the analytics tell us that good ratings bring good exposure, and more exposure brings more CU fans into the fold. I hope that you and yours are off to a good start in the new year and that you and your buffs will have a great 2022. So until next time, be well, stay safe, and go buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to seeyouatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.